Uh, the reading of the Scriptures from uh, Jude, reading verses 12 to 13. So uh, let us hear uh, the Word of the Lord with fear and trembling. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Uh, Most of us are uh, familiar with uh, warning labels Uh, It's a good thing in our culture that uh, so many things are labeled uh, so that if we have perhaps a particular allergy or whatever, or if we're using something for the first time, we're warned on and on. Just countless warning labels. Part of our culture, all of us are used to it. Uh, But Jude is going to do something uh, very unique. He's going to put a warning label uh, on... A number of churches. Can't really tell you personally which ones. I just know that he's going to issue uh, an incredible warning label. Uh, going to be stuck on uh, false teachers uh, who uh, birth false churches. And so Jude, as a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, is going to stick labels on churches. Uh, to remind us to be incredibly careful because if you go there, your soul may be in danger. And if you follow the teachers, your soul will definitely be in danger of uh, following or falling, pardon me, asleep. Uh, we don't think in those terms. Uh, for the most part in our culture, we think of church as a safe place. Trust that it is. Trust this church is a safe place. Uh, but it is... Uh, the reminder that not all churches are safe places. They are places of incredible danger. And that's uh, the essence of uh, the warning labels that Jude will leave us uh, this morning. Uh, He uses uh, metaphors from nature uh, to uh, highlight uh, the danger of false teachers and where they teach. And of course, more importantly for us, the danger of following them and of going there. Uh, In in a particular sense, the theological sense, uh, it is the danger that salvation does not affect one's uh, life and morals. Or that uh, there is salvation absent uh, perseverance and sanctification. Uh, Those are incredibly pronounced dangers. Uh, But they also involve some measure of theological sophistication. Uh, I would say by application, uh, for the most part in our churches today, we don't care about theological sophistication. And when we don't, uh, we are uh, neglecting uh, the warnings that Jude is going to issue to us from the passage this morning. If permitted a lodgment, the church will come to look like the world. Uh, Nominalism will prevail and the gospel is diluted, raising the specter of judgment. 
Uh, and so, in that vein, Jude issues uh, warnings. Uh, in particular, they're captured for us this morning in five metaphors from nature. It was said of Winston Churchill that he mobilized the English language and sent it to war. Jude is going to mobilize nature to brace us to pay attention to warning labels with respect to the Christian community. I, mean, I remind you of something that's very telling. Uh, he's not warning us of substance abuse. He's not warning us of, uh, of uh, say, immorality. Uh, he's warning us of the danger of false teachers in the church. So it's a telling reminder. So that the danger of false teachers is seen through the lens of nature. Each metaphor is uh, a predicate nominative. Uh, the subject is a reference uh, to the followers of Cain, uh, Balaam, and Korah, who are in the church this very day, all over the world. They have a trailing uh, a reminder of, of incredible danger, the specter of false teachers who bring ruin into the church. So the predicates are descriptions of these teachers. Uh, we have a way of saying, you know, well, as, as, as long as uh, it uh, uh, doesn't get too personal with me, who cares what the guy's teaching? Jude is going to tell us, give us a sense of caring uh, through his metaphors. Uh, in descriptions, again, of certain teachers, not outside the church, in the church. And that is the point of the warning labels. Uh, first, he says, uh, first part of verse 12, uh, these men are hidden reefs. Uh, at your love feast, so that they are attendants, they are in attendance in the meeting of the church at the agape feasts where the sacrament of the Lord's table was observed. Uh, and that is profoundly significant. It means that they are in the church and they're partaking of the sacrament of the Lord's table. Uh, so the danger is uh, quite pronounced. Uh, they partake without observing that the table is for the repentant and that to partake improperly is to invite judgment. So they come to the Lord's table, they partake of the sacrament without any fear whatsoever of God. Uh, it's a great reminder of the words of the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 29, where he tells the people in the church because they are improperly observing the table, they bring judgment upon themselves. And then he says in the next verse, for this reason, some of you are weak, some of you are sick, and some of you are, are asleep as a euphemism for death. So it's no trifling manner. It's a warning label from the Apostle Paul. Be very careful about approaching the sacrament of the Lord's table with an unrepentant heart engaging in falsehood. Because God knows. Because it is the table of the Lord. Jude goes on to, to say that they care for themselves. Uh, caring for themselves. 
Now, the word uh, in the Greek text is literally shepherding uh, themselves. Uh, the word shepherd, as you know, is uh, used of elders caring for the flock. It may very well mean that the false teachers have obtained such status in the churches where they are, that they have become shepherds or under-shepherds under Christ. Uh, here it is a perversion of the office that they care for themselves meaning that they feed on the flock for their own gain and for their own interests. But the most poignant part of the metaphor is uh, the nautical portion that they are hidden reefs. Again, if we transport ourselves back into the ancient Near East, uh, of course, well-developed uh, sailing industry for trade, for commerce, uh, but there was no sonar, there were no charts, uh, more importantly, there was no Coast Guard. Uh, the ships had wooden hulls, and if a wooden hull ship strikes a reef, it's going to sink. Reminded of, of the sinking of the Titanic. You know, the ship was, was named uh, after uh, titans who were false gods. Uh, what's interesting about the name of the ship, uh, named after the titans, uh, and of course there are no false gods. There's only one true god, but they boasted that this ship, named after a false god, could never sink. If you will, it hits a reef and sinks. Terrible loss of life. Some, of course, escaped. Uh, but it is a reminder uh, that when there is a false teaching in a church, uh, it sets uh, in motion a profound danger, uh, namely that people will someday, if they follow the teaching, will strike a reef like a wooden hulled ship they will take on water, they will sink, and they will drown. Uh, this is exactly the point of the Apostle Paul when he writes in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1 uh, and the 19th verse. Uh, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you that by them you may fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Keeping faith. Uh, if you will, uh, keeping the faith, Jude 3, that was once for all delivered to the saints. You defect from that and souls will become shipwrecked and uh, face uh, damage to their souls. So it's a warning label. In some churches, there are teachers that are hidden reefs. And the vast majority of people in our country, by and large, are unsuspecting. They are naive with respect to, they are naive with respect to doctrine and theology. Uh, we don't think of a church as having a warning label upon it, but that's exactly what Jude gives to us. A place 
where there are men who are teaching that are hidden reefs that can shipwreck the soul from which there is no recovery. Now, when you tolerate this man, again, you invite shipwreck. And the metaphor, I think, in my mind, speaks to catastrophic judgment. Secondly, they are clouds without water driven by the wind. All of us, uh, particularly uh, as Oklahomans, uh, notwithstanding the fact that the last number of months have uh, been incredibly uh, wet for us, uh, but all of us know that we've been and lived through summers that uh, day after day of 100 degree heat, uh, no rain whatsoever uh, uh, on near prospect of coming. Uh, uh, the water reservoirs are being drawn down. We're desperately in need of rain. Crops are burning up and clouds show up and we have a measure of hope. But the clouds produce nothing. That's what these men are. They have the appearance of bringing refreshment of giving drink to a parched ground, of filling reservoirs with much-needed drinking water. But they produce nothing. They do not deliver. They're worthless. Perhaps to cabbage onto this metaphor, so many people, I think, go to church and they're just simply chasing mirages. And they seemingly get to a place where they think they'll be happy and there's nothing there. And so they chase another mirage and on and on. These teachers promise, uh, but they're empty. Uh, clouds without water driven by the wind. Uh, something of a conceptual parallel to this uh, in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, the Apostle Paul speaks to the danger of, uh, of false teachers. The context, again, is, is uh, gifts that God has given to the church. Uh, and he has given those gifts to the church for a particular reason that's spelled out for us in Ephesians chapter 4 in the 14th verse. As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. in the church. It's the point of the metaphor uh, that there are improper men and they're bringing great uh, danger uh, and causing incredible instability in the life of God's people. All of this is something of an illusion that uh, uh, comes from uh, the words of a very wise man. The book of the Proverbs uh, chapter 25, uh, in verse 14. And I think as Jude is, is alluding uh, to Solomon, uh, Proverbs 25, in the 14th verse, like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of his gifts falsely. It's a warning label that Jude is attaching to some churches. There's promise there, but it's totally empty. Thirdly, they are dead trees without fruit. Reminded of Jesus' 
in the Gospels, Mark chapter 11. He sees a fig tree. Uh, he's hungry. He goes to, uh, to the tree to pick a fig, and there's no figs upon it. And uh, he curses it. Sometimes later, they pass the same tree, and it's withered. Uh, it has the appearance. Uh, some churches, again, and God's grace, not all of them to be sure, I trust not Grace Bible Church, have the appearance of bearing fruit. Uh, but there is none. Uh, I, I would remind you that the new creation has uh, begun with evidence of fruit in the life of the believer. That's what God produces when he invades a heart. Uh, great reminder from uh, the, first, uh, the first psalm. It's just this arboreal metaphor, if you will, of what God does in the life of, uh, of his children uh, when the truth is taught and upheld. Uh, great things happen. And it's captured for us in this metaphorical language tree. I'm not unmindful that uh, there, there is an echo of a garden metaphor that really we find picked up again in Revelation chapter 22, of the garden with trees bearing fruit. Uh, Psalm uh, 1, verses 3, first part of verse 4, and he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers, but the wicked are not so. It's kind of a terrifying uh, interruption of this grand picture of uh, one redeemed by the grace of God, and then the stark reminder, but the wicked are not so. They're barren trees. They have promise, but they give nothing. They're like a mirage. You're incredibly hungry and thirsty, and you see something in the distance, and, and uh, you, you, you go there, but once you arrive, the mirage disappears. There's nothing there. Uh, something of a of, uh, picture of this, again, in, in the Gospels, uh, that stress uh, the remarkable nature of, uh, of this warning, uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 15 and 16. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Uh, again, Picking up on the point of the metaphor, verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Uh, it is a wonderful illustration from a negative sense of the importance of the purity, the majesty of the gospel. Uh, that Christ uh, died for our sins, and dispatches his spirit to change our lives. Uh, and to and to produce uh, fruit, uh, Jesus says, uh, John fifteen, I am the true vine. 
Attach yourself to any other vine, any other religion, any other philosophy but Him. And you're going to be found in a bad way. Jesus goes on to say, as you know, my Father is the vine dresser. He prunes those who belong to Christ that they will produce fruit. And every branch that does not produce fruit is cut off and thrown into the fire. A reminder of the importance of Jesus Christ is the true vine. Everything outside of him will be found in a bad way. A beautiful illustration of this, uh, again, is a reference to the Gospel. Uh, Luke uh, chapter 13, verses 6 to 9. Parable uh, to teach us, to remind us. He began telling this parable, a certain man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it did not find any. He said to the vine keeper, Behold, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any, cut it down. Because it's just simply using up the ground to no avail whatsoever. The answer said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. If it bears fruit next year, fine, but if it's not, then we'll cut it down. It's a reminder to each of us that there is time. There is time to believe in Jesus Christ. There's time to be attached to the true vine in the hope of the grace of God and the great eternal vine dresser that He will prune us, that we will produce fruit for the glory of God to advance His kingdom, for His glory, for the greatness of His name. There is time. Perhaps someone here who knows not the Savior. It's a reminder that there is time. And that God, in a case of an act of grace, is going to fertilize the ground. But He expects fruit for His glory because of who He is, the great God of heaven who changes the lives of His people to testify to His power and His majesty. But He will come again. And if there is no fruit, the fig tree will be cut down. The particular point of the warning label here is that uh, uh, many churches uh, set uh, fruit before you, but it's poisonous. It will lead to the ruin of your soul, departure of the gospel, uh, vacating from their beliefs the point of the supernatural. It's incredible that a church would be so long in error as to deny the supernatural, but uh, certainly many churches or certainly their teachers, have come to deny the supernatural. Uh, that's a place of incredible danger uh, because it vacates the essential element of the Christian faith, uh, the power of the gospel uh, to transform a life through the forgiveness of sin uh, and the great vine dresser who will produce fruit where once there was nothing uh, now there is everything for the pleasure of the glory of God. Some of you are probably saying, well, I've, I've never been to a church like that. I, 
I have a friend of mine uh, who is a priest in a very large church, and he once told me uh, that in my church, uh, you can be a priest, uh, you, can, you can deny the Incarnation. In my church, speaking in a broad sense, not his particular geographic church, but in a broad sense, in my church, in my denomination, you can deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ and still be ordained as a priest. Uh, my friend, you can go to those churches all day long, and you will eat poisonous fruit to destroy the soul. It's a reminder uh, that some churches have warning labels. Fourthly, they are wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame. Verse 13. In violent storms, waves are unpredictable in size and strength. I once remember uh, reading a, a true account of some men who were stranded on a raft in the ocean, and oftentimes uh, waves come in a series that are predictable. Uh, but then there are those rogue waves that seemingly come out of nowhere that would capsize the raft, uh, leading the men into peril. Well, many churches, if you will, who have uh, not earnestly contended for the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. Uh, Jude verses 3 and 4 are like rogue waves. They seemingly come out of nowhere to bring incredible destruction. The particular point here is that after a storm, all manner of refuge is on the beach, and sometimes further inland there is incredible destruction. Reminded the other day that... Uh, some nations uh, use uh, the oceans as a garbage dump. The problem with that is it ends up on beaches as a terrible blight and incredible danger, particularly if it's medical waste, but uh, they seem to think that they can do that with impunity. Some churches are like that. It's incredibly dangerous waste dumped and it eventually uh, will harm people. Uh, this, too, is an Old Testament illusion. So these are not new metaphors of warning. They're old, they're ancient. But Jude is having to remind his congregation uh, through using ancient warnings. Uh, we studied this not too long ago. Book of Isaiah. Chapter 57. It's a simile figure of speech. Isaiah 57, verse 20, But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up refuse and mud. It's a proverbial use of the Old Testament in the New. It was occurring in the days of the prophet Isaiah. It's reoccurring in the days of Jude, and it's reoccurring again in our day. You know how that passage ends? Incredible warning. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. And Isaiah is speaking of the covenant community in his own day. As Jude is in his day, 
so that we might heed the warnings in our day that there is no peace, saith my God to the wicked. The hope of the gospel is that there's peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ vertically, and there is peace with our brother horizontally, but there is no peace to the wicked. In both contexts, the metaphors speak to turbulence, eventually making evident what is evil. Lastly, uh, uh, the fourth uh, metaphor from nature is there are wandering stars. Uh, in reality, you and I know uh, that stars are fixed, uh, but Jude is not giving to us a handbook on astronomy. He's giving to us a handbook on false teachers who have come into the church to destroy it. Regardless of their vestments, regardless of the words that they use, they come to destroy. That one of the things that people need to become more and more sensitive to is that they use our vocabulary, but they redefine the words. The point of the metaphor is that the teachers are always moving. Everything is relative and nothing is definite and certain. I don't know anything whatsoever about sailing ships. Uh, but I've read accounts where sailors would use a sextant to shoot the stars to determine their location, uh, to keep them from getting lost, to keep them from being at the wrong place in the wrong time, perhaps to keep them from running aground. Uh, but in the case of many churches, there's nothing certain, nothing definite, nothing fixed. Uh, in other words, a place of incredible danger. Uh, in this case, the stars are always moving. So the people are perpetually lost and never know where they are. A cognate verb of wandering, very, this is very interesting. Cognate verb of wandering, like the wandering stars, is the verb to deceive. And that's exactly the point of the text. That in the end times, which we will study, verse 18, the Lord willing, in the last days, deception will enter the church and effect great harm. So, the point of all these warning labels is be careful who you follow. Because sometimes... Uh, Churches can be dangerous places. Uh, sometimes men are playing you false. And so June wards us with these warning labels and of the danger of the times when deception is trafficked, is truth, and where men really are pretenders to the faith Perhaps the sharpest metaphor of all is one that we previously looked at, the Gospel of Matthew. They're wolves in sheep clothing. So the point is that there is a high price to following false teachers. I understand it takes a little bit of theological sophistication, a little bit of understanding of church history and historic orthodoxy, 
but that is the point of the warnings of the scriptures, like the words of the Apostle Paul, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You absent doctrine in any sophistication whatsoever. You're placing your soul in incredible danger. So this is the price for permitting false teachers entrance and access to the church. Let's, let's review very quickly. They bring shipwreck. They cannot deliver what they promise. They have no fruit. Shame and deceit. That's an incredibly high price. But there's a high price to be paid. It will be paid. And so we must uh, learn uh, and follow the truth and grow in grace and the knowledge of our Savior. I received uh, in my home uh, last week an illustration of this. It was a beautiful flyer uh, of a husband and wife team that were uh, going to give a series uh, in their church. And they were going to teach their congregation how to get the right stuff. And the right stuff is just that, the toys of the world. We all want the right stuff, don't we? We want to have uh, certain toys to play with, certain this, certain that. I really could care less what a brand is on your automobile or on your clothing. It's just not an issue to me whatsoever. But if you were to go to that church and you go to that series, they would teach you how to get the good stuff. As if what? The church is a place where we can learn to have more of the world? No, we don't learn just the opposite. To love not the world, neither the things in the world, but to love the Savior more and more every day. That our affections would grow for Him and that our hearts would beat for Him. Who cares about the right stuff? Well, that pastoral team did and that church evidently does. Incredible reminder of dangerous ground. As if Jesus came that we might have the best of the toys of the world. It's part of our culture. Not Jude's culture. A reminder. Well, let's, let's leave the, the bad teachers uh, to remember the grace of God. Uh, because at some point, if you're a Christian, uh, you were following some kind of bad teacher. Maybe it was a philosophy of the world. Uh, maybe it was someone that uh, was trying to lead you astray, knowingly or unknowingly. Uh, maybe it was an academic who uh, perverted uh, your sense of understanding that there is a God who is supernatural, who invades the system. Uh, but God came the good shepherd to rescue you. Something of a lesson of Ezekiel, uh, chapter 34. Context is bad shepherds. And after detailing the bad shepherds, God says, I'm going to ra raise up a true shepherd. He will feed my flock. 
Fulfillment comes in the great I am statements of our Lord in John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I know my sheep and they know me. Christ is the good shepherd. He's the fulfillment of Ezekiel 34. If you're not a Christian, uh, every other shepherd will play you false. Every other shepherd will promise and will not deliver. Every other shepherd will shipwreck your soul. There's only one good shepherd who can lead beyond the grave, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Flee to Him. Cling to Him. Follow Him. I love, I love the reminder, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Christ is the only shepherd who can deliver and protect from evil shepherds and death. Reminder of the tragic words in Psalm 49, death will shepherd their souls. Feed upon them throughout all eternity. Not so of the sheep of Jesus Christ. Outside of Him, your shepherd is deception regardless of the nomenclature in the vestments. Furthermore, Christ raises up by His Spirit qualified under-shepherds to teach, to warn. And His agents act in unison and continuity with Him. That is the point of Jude 3. The faith once for all delivered to the saints. You vacate that. You're following a false teacher. Uh, to the ruin of your soul. You are not reading the warning labels that God has given to you in His Holy Word. So we are duly warned about the high price for following false teachers. But let's remind ourselves again of the majesty of the Savior, what it means to know Him. Uh, the end of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, Now to the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. The blood of the eternal covenant. That he shed His blood to ransom many. And we follow Him. Because we know Him as the Good Shepherd. I remind you of the great Old Testament verses that speak to Christ as the Good Shepherd. Psalm 23. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He sets a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup runneth over. When you know Christ is your shepherd, His banquet table will never run out for you. And your cup will never be dry. Never. If you're not a Christian, you're being reminded that there is only one table, one cup, one bread. And if you are, your heart should rejoice for every day to come that your cup will never run out and your table will never be vacant because Christ is the great, only good shepherd. 